live. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast, another live broadcast, unannounced, spontaneous, just after 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday. And I'm your host, John Harris, for this after the midterm election uh, group therapy session. No, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the election. Maybe we'll talk a lot about it. We'll see. Uh, there's a number of things to get to today. And I wanted to do a live stream. I'm enjoying doing live streams. And some of you have pointed out that I guess when you replay it afterward, maybe it's in a live stream too, that uh, my camera lags a little bit. I am aware, just so you know. And that's something that I am going to have to remedy. I think I'm probably going to have to go back to setting up a, a webcam. I have uh, right now hooked into my computer as my Canon Rebel. And I think because I, I probably should just buy like a, a box or something. I don't know what they call them, but a processing box of some kind that'll make it much easier. But uh, haven't had time to look into it because I've been busy with so many other things, some of which I will tell you about today. And for those who uh, support what I'm doing, uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you so much, because um, there's a lot that you don't sometimes see. And uh, I try to let patrons know kind of what I'm up to. But um, today I'm going to give you a little window into something that I've been I spent probably, I don't know, uh, five, six hours, maybe more than that, uh, eh, five, six hours today uh, working on. And uh, I'm going to show you that later in this particular podcast. But some cool, important discussions that I've had over the last uh, day that I'm going to share with you. Uh, first, before we get into that, let's see, uh, a few things I need to let you know. Uh, first of all, first of all, the, the worst thing isn't what happened to the Republicans last night. The worst thing is trying to go into the winter. This time that we all know is much drier, much colder. And, and of course, since you're cold, you're growing a beard, right? If you're a man, you're growing a beard in the winter, more so than you would in other times of the year. Uh, and, and the worst thing is when you grow that beard and it's just itchy because you, you have dry skin. And there is a remedy for it, though. I have a solution for you. And, of course, that is going to the standard beard care com the standardbeercare.com and you can go there and check out all their products they got a number of products in fact some of these products I don't even think I have <laughs> I have the rosewood I'm looking right now uh, I have the rose actually I have their box which is uh, if you can get the standard box that'll give you a sample of a lot of what they have it's a veteran owned business they're Christians they value what you value and uh, you don't have to feel guilty from purchasing from them. That's what I like about the standardbeard.com. Uh, and I say this about other companies that I'll advertise. Uh, for example, when we talk about Gold River, green uh, green tea, uh, hot tea, iced tea, all the different teas. They have more teas that have, are coming out, by the way, uh, this winter. They See, I'm not even paid to say that, but I, I'm such a, a supporter of Gold River. I, I think you should go there, too, because... Uh, you don't have to feel guilty about purchasing stuff from them, but it's no different with the standard beard care. You got your tea, you got your beard, and your beard is not dry, it's not prickly, it's not going to poke your wife in the cheek when you try to kiss her. Uh, it, it's going to be nice and, and silky and smooth, and it's uh, November now. We're only, you know, it's only November 9th, but for those who do the No Shave November, by the end of this, you're definitely going to want uh, some products from the standard beer kale. I, I would recommend, you know, you can get beard oil. There's other things that they have. They have brushes, they have combs. I would get their balm though, more than anything else. It's all good, but get their balm. That's what I use the most. And, uh, I just take some, rub it in my hands, put it all over my beard. 
And my wife notices the difference, I'll tell you that. So uh, check them out, thestandardbeardcare.com. Great company. And if you put in the promo code CONVO, C-O-N-V-O, CONVO, then you can get a discount on your purchase. And so uh, I would appreciate it, they would appreciate it, and your beard will appreciate it. Okay, uh, moving on. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, what happened last night a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think in what order I want to do this. I was looking this morning, uh, and, and I thought it was interesting. I do this probably every election, but I'll show you what I was looking at. A map of the state that I live in currently, which is New York. And this is what it looks like for the governor's race. This is Kathy Hochul uh, versus Lee Zeldin. And of course, Lee Zeldin, I mean, this is not, this is not even 5% uh, of a difference here uh, with 92%, I guess, reporting. But um, Kathy Hochul, 52.8%. Uh, uh, Lee Zeldin, 47.1%. That's insane for New York. Now, I grew up in the, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's been 20 years, I think. It's 2002 when Pataki, I guess, would have left, January of 2002. So uh, that whole time, we had a Republican governor uh, for, I'm trying to remember. I think he, he did at least two terms. I think he did more than that. If I'm not, I, well, now my mind's fuzzy on it. But I just remember Republican governor, Republican Senate. The only thing that was Democrat-controlled was the Assembly. Now, Republicans in the Northeast, New York included, tend to be more progressive. They tend to be pro-abortion. They tend to be uh, for just uh, sexual anarchy in some ways. Now, they're probably uh, not quite as, you know, they, they lag a little bit behind where the Democrats are at, but they would be totally fine with gay marriage, most of them, I would think. Most of the, the those in leadership in the Republican Party. Even if you're a Christian in the Republican Party in New York, you are, in, on some social issues, going to be probably to the left of Democrats in areas where I've lived in uh, Virginia, let's say, or North Carolina. And y you have to wonder about that. It's not for this podcast to wonder about that, but you do need, you need to think about that. Why is that? Uh, wh why is it that even conservative Christians in certain regions tend to lean more progressive, in, on some issues at least, than those in uh, who might even be Democrats in more conservative areas or areas that have been for a longer period of time affected by Christianity, cultural Christianity, we'll say, and are still uh, more affected by it. That's just how it is. But uh, in New York, uh, some of the big issues that I think made it close this time, and and I see, I don't I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, of course, with. Uh, f potential fraud and those kinds of things. I just know that um, if, if, so assuming what we're getting is reality, conforms to reality, uh, the, what made it close was uh, probably the fact that what's happening in New York right now is insane. Everyone's moving out. Everyone's moving out. Uh, it's just, in that last year, I think in the, the church I attend, we've had like four families, four or five families, just in the last year. Um, young families move out, mostly go to places like Tennessee, uh, South Carolina, Tennessee, places like that. And what they're being replaced by are people coming up from New York City. So very deep blue areas, they're trying to escape to get into a more red area or a light blue area. And then in those red, light blue areas, they're trying to escape the state uh, mandates and so forth to get to places like Tennessee 
that are a, a deeper red than what they're used to. Even though, in my mind, looking at it from a national perspective, Tennessee isn't even that red anymore. It's still a red state, but but you know, compared to New York standards, very red. And why is that, John? Well, the reason is is because there's still mandates in effect from uh, the COVID situation. It's extremely difficult to get a job in the medical field. I would have said impossible a few weeks ago, except for the fact that I know someone now who was able to get an exemption. Uh, it's, the, the, it's starting to crack a little bit, but it's it's still, uh, the rules are you're not supposed to be, if you're not uh, totally vaccinated, you're not supposed to have a job in the health uh, care industry. Uh, so that's a huge that's a huge industry, right? So that's part of it. Um, you also have the fact that the gun laws are insane right now. You, I was actually just uh, at the store the other day. I was getting some broadheads for my compound bow. And I can still buy those without a background check. And they did need to check my age, but that's fine, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been asked that, but I was like, okay. So um, I had to be at least 18 to order to, to buy these broadheads. Uh, if you don't know what a broadhead is, they look, I throw on the package here, they look like this. And so they're tips you put on your arrow so that, you know, they're not practice tips. You can go hunting. These are actually mechanical broadheads. So uh, when I was there though, the guy who was selling them to me obviously sold ammunition and, and guns as well. And I just asked him, I said, what's it like now with the new laws? And he said, well, basically there's a database. And if you purchase ammo, your name, all your information has to go into a database and what you purchased that state wants to track that stuff. Uh, so, and that's new and, it, and it's, it's becoming more and more and more this way churches right now um now unfortunately there's a court that struck this or not didn't strike it down but at least put a what do they call that an injunction in but uh if that didn't happen we right now uh, at church at a public place would not be allowed to uh, conceal carry so the security team would not be allowed to do their job essentially even former uh, police uh, retired military they couldn't do it uh, unless they were active uh, because uh, the the new law says this, and it's like, what what's the point of getting a concealed carry if you can't actually in public places where you might have a problem, defend yourself? Right? It makes no sense. These are the kinds of things that are causing people to leave. It's even stuff from a few years ago, the uh, uh, getting rid of bail and just the, the repeat criminals, and I mean the crime's up. So that's why this was so close. But Lee Zeldin still didn't make it. Kathy Hochul is still. The Democrat is still uh, going to be sworn in as the next uh, governor uh, of New York State. So, you know, what makes sense of this? Uh, this is insane in my mind that this happened. Now, I, I expected it at the same time because I expect insanity. But why, why can't people see that, right? Why can't people just remember the conditions they lived in two or three years ago, before COVID, let's say, compare it to the conditions now, kind of realize what they're doing with their, they're voting with their feet, their friends are voting with their feet, and then just make a determination. Well, maybe it has something to do with some policies. Maybe that could have contributed. But for some reason, that's not something that happens. At least it's not a, a big enough deal that it causes an election swing. And that's another thing that is just fascinating to me. You, so here's the map of New York everyone's looking at. And you can see it's mostly red. And so many of you across the country think of New York as this really blue state. And, and I just said, yeah, I mean, you remember Republicans in New York, if they're in a, I'm not talking about rank and file, but I'm saying if you're in an establishment, yeah, you're going to be on the left. But that being said, the Republican Party, the people who actually vote, tend to vote Republican over the whole state. And, and I live here in this county right here. 
And uh, it happened to be, it's a blue county. It's not deep blue, but it's it's blue. And um, I think it's because, there's a lot of farms and stuff here, but I, I, I think it's because there's three um, semi-urbanish, there's very liberal cities that probably outnumber the the farmers and so forth. But, uh, but you can see the surrounding counties all red. Uh, most of the counties are red. Uh, the only places, these little blue outposts are what? Well, you know what they are. They're cities. They're cities. And th this here, you don't see a major city, but Ithaca's here. So you have um, Cornell University, and, and that's why that's like probably one of the deepest blue counties. Uh, but there's not a lot of people there. So they're able to, the, Ithaca can outnumber everyone else in the farming areas surrounding it. Otherwise, it's major cities. It's Buffalo. It's Rochester. It's Albany. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting Columbia went blue. I don't really, I don't have an explanation for that really. Um there is a lot of people. There are a lot of people from New York City. In fact, they're jumping up from here and going straight to places like this. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Catskill is in Columbia County, or no, Hudson is in Columbia County, and and they're known for being pretty left. But uh, other than that, though, you jump down, it's New York City. I mean, that's what's causing, that's what's causing blueness in this, uh, this particular state, and it's not something that is unique to New York. This is every state just about. You look at a map after any election and it's going to be red everywhere except for what? The urban areas. The areas that have more concentrations of people. And this particular podcast isn't for analyzing all that, uh, but it's it seems a crying shame. And this is trending on Twitter right now, that upstate New York, so this whole region here, you know, take New York City out of the equation, which New York City... Uh, you know, there are millions of people live there. I mean, they, it, it takes the whole state in a leftward direction. If you just, if you cut New York City out, New York would be one of the deepest red states without New York City. And, and people in Virginia could probably say something similar. Say, look, if you cut out the Beltway, the DC Beltway, we would be deep red. And one of the things that progressives used to believe in is a concept known as popular sovereignty. At least they gave assent to it. In fact, they give uh, assent to it even to some extent in places like Ukraine and uh, regions in the Middle East where they think there's um, some kind of a colonial move going on or it, it, the will of the people isn't being realized and they, they're not self-governing. And so there's a... Uh, there's just a, an attitude of needing to conserve or to protect, I should say, uh, unique cultures because that's what a commitment to diversity looks like. We need to protect these unique cultures. Like you hear it, it just happened in the election in Brazil uh, over a week ago. It was all about um, one of the issues was the rainforests. And in fact, I watched this whole thing on Spike. Was it Spike? It was one of these news outlets. I forget. Um, which one it was. But anyway, they did this whole, not Spike, that's the men's channel, supposedly. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the channel, but someone sent it to me and it was interesting. It was all ant against missionaries, but it was also uh, negative uh, on uh, Bolsonaro because it was saying that these unique people groups that don't have contact with the outside world, with technology, uh, with the Western world, uh, with um, medicine and, and language, uh, the other languages and uh, Christianity in particular, are, their cultures are being destroyed. They're being ruined because you have uh, Christians coming in, these missionaries, and you know Bolsonaro allows them to come and evangelize, essentially. 
and that's horrible. And, and the progressives still will apply this to some situations like that. But what they don't apply it to is those in their own backyard. Those in their own backyard who are governed by people that have little in common with them. People in the Adirondack region of New York have very little in common with people who live in Manhattan. But yet, who are they governed by? Who makes the rules? It's Manhattan, right? So this would actually go run counter to a notion of popular sovereignty. This would actually be, uh, if, if progressives wanted to be consistent on this, they would say that uh, actually it, it would be better to conserve the cultures of upstate New York and, and other states. You know, you pick your area. They won't do it, though. And, and really because I, I think the impulse is they are against Western civilization, Christianity. They are uh, anything, any tool that they have at their disposal to destroy those things, they will use. Because that's the ultimate objective. That's the thing holding progress back. That's the thing holding back the equity, diversity, inclusion, this utopia that we can build is those bigots over there. And anything to get rid of them. Uh, so if those Rousseauian noble savages want to live in disease, even though missionaries can give them uh, medical treatment, well, you know, that's 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 good. We, we want them to live in disease because uh, they're not going to be, it's worse for them if they're affected by Christian missionaries and their ideas and, and if their religions are eroded, their pagan religions, because they'll lose their sense of, of identity. And guess what? Here's the problem in the minds of the progressives. They will become just like those Western Christian missionaries. And there'll be more people in the ranks of Christians. There'll be more Christians out there. And that's what they're against. They don't want that. So if uh, it's an enslavement, a civil slavery on a level, I mean, what else would you call it? If it's civil slavery, they're fine with it. So uh, I just wanted to point that out as a possible solution to this whole mess that many of you are finding yourself in today is thinking local, acting local. Obviously, we talk about that. But what solutions does federalism offer? Uh, what solutions could we uh, maybe enact on a local level, even on a county level or a town level? Uh, when I was in Virginia, I remember there were some local counties that became uh, the equivalent of a sanctuary city, only it was for medical freedom. It was, uh, they were not going to participate in the lockdowns. And some of them had militias, and it wasn't like, um, you know, the local police force wasn't involved in this. They were, they were part of the same county. They, they were on board. And so nullifying, um, trying to uh, interpose uh, anything you can to hedge against what's coming from these centralized locations uh, is what's needed right now, probably more than anything, and what's needed for the future, what's needed for what's coming. Because every two years, we're you know right now, what, what are the people saying today on talk radio, conservative talk radio? What's going to happen in 2024? You know, I heard Ben Shapiro last night saying, well, maybe this is good for 2024 because if we won too much, we would get lazy and, and because we didn't, we'll work more for it. It's like, I'm like, what are you talking about? By the way, the conservative talk show radio hosts have hardly any answer for this, partially because they doesn't, it doesn't seem like to me like they want to talk about what happened in 2020 for whatever reason. Uh, but the other thing is they, they seem, maybe their job depends on it, but they're going to be commentators for the next cycle, the next election cycle, you know, th that's what their bread and butter is made of is, is them 
um, covering it, getting eyeballs on what they're saying about it. They live for that kind of thing. It's a political, it's a political world that they come from. And when, when you have to uh, consider the prospect that maybe in two years, four years, six years, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, you're not going to see much change. Maybe actually there's some bigger forces that work here that will prevent actual real positive change from happening. What does that say about your livelihood? What does that say about your life's work that you've devoted yourself to? If your life, uh, if, if what you deal in is elections. And and so I, don't know, I was listening to the Daily Wire. I was listening to a little bit of Sean Hannity today. I just wanted to see what they were saying. And yeah, sure enough, it's... Um, it's just, it's a lot of platitudes. It's a lot of just, uh, honestly, false hope to some extent. It's trying to, and I don't want to be a, a doom and gloomer here at all, at all, because there are some things to be hopeful for. Uh, obviously, what happened in Florida, um, there's some local elections. I heard that Lynchburg, by the way, which I lived in a year ago, uh, they went red, which they were blue the whole time I was there. But there, there's some local elections that did, that were good. Uh, you obviously have, um, I mean, I don't know a lot about J.D. Vance. I read his book, but he won in Ohio, right? I mean, a lot of you probably know about kind of who won, who didn't. Carrie Lake may even pull this off, by the way, in Arizona, it looks like. I was just looking at her uh, her, her announcements, and whatever ballots are still coming in that they're counting are overwhelmingly for her. Same day, election day, not absentee ballots, right? Th- those are pulling hard for her. And the fact that it was, it's been as close as it is is just, it. I, I can't say it on YouTube because they'll take the video down. But read between the lines here, people. <laughs> Her, she was up like 12 points in the polls, and it doesn't make any sense. So uh, anyway, where was I? So the, the only thing I'm trying to say is we have to be thinking outside the box as far as solutions uh, to the problem. And not all the solutions are going to be political. I think some of them are going to be, or at least we should we, we should include political solutions in our basic response. But uh, the main thing is the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against angels, principalities, powers. So we have to keep that focus uh, as well. But on a purely political level, we should be thinking about local solutions to these things more than anything else. How can we take local responsibility and control and self-sufficiency more than ever? How can we hedge against uh, what's happening from these centralized locations, whether it's D.C. or the state capitol? And the map proves it. You look at the map and... You, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. The people who live in most of the, the who, who occupy and own most of the land in this country uh, and, and live on the land in this country uh, do not feel the way that those who are currently in power feel. So um, wanted to make my plug for the think local stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll make my plug anytime that uh, I, I can, because I think it's so important. All right, let's, uh, let's, we'll keep going here. There's a lot more to get to. Um, and this is probably going to end up being a bit of a mega edition. We'll see. But I just want to see who's uh, in the chat today. We have 88 people streaming right now. Pretty good for an unannounced chat, uh, unannounced live stream. And um, some of you are saying that you're not surprised. Some of you are saying you're disappointed in the elections. And uh, yeah, Rockland County. Someone says Rockland is red. Yeah, what's up with that? What is up with that? Rockland County is red, but Ulster County is not. Only New Yorkers understand this, but... I don't get that either. doesn't make sense to me. Although Rockland County does, so, well, actually, I was going to say Rockland County has a lot of farms. Actually, no, it doesn't. So I don't know what to make of that. But there are new, there are demographics that are now pulling more for Republican. There's a lot of Jewish people, like uh, Hasidic Jewish people in Rockland County. And 
um, they're starting to pull more for Republicans. Amish are pulling more for Republicans. Uh, Hispanics are pulling more for Republicans. I mean, some of this stuff is also changing the electoral map uh, to some degree. Um, yeah, we shouldn't have our hope in politics. I agree. I mean, ultimately, no. But we we still, I mean, it's like, um, it, it's inescapable, though, that we live in a political world. We live in a world also that uh, we have to engage in business, right? We shouldn't put our hope in our our paycheck, right? But we're still going to go out and get a paycheck. So that's how I view it. It's it's uh, it's, it's part of life, the warp and woof of life. Charlie Kirk believes Kerry's going to win. Yeah, I I haven't looked into it probably as deeply as Charlie Kirk has at all, but I would probably uh, side with that. I, I think Kerry probably will. And if she does, I'm hoping and, and thinking that'll change the very nature of how elections are conducted in that state eventually, hopefully. Okay, so... Um, do you listen to Steve Dace? Uh, sometimes. It depends. You know, there's people I listen to um, more so in different condi- under different conditions. And so Steve Dace, I was listening to him a little more when it came to some of like the COVID stuff. I thought he was pretty good on that. I don't, I, I haven't listened to him a lot lately. Uh, you know who though tends to be pretty decent on election stuff? And this is where I get, this is where people say, you can't say his name. And I'm not saying I agree with everything he says about everything at all. I'm just saying his analysis, or at least the people he brings on a show to analyze elections. Steve Bannon. His show actually is pretty decent when it comes to... Now, I know, sometimes there's an overly optimistic side of him because he's... He even will say he's engaging in propaganda when it like approaches an election season. And he wants people to really think that they're going to win and so forth. But after an election, when he brings people on... For instance, um, the Brazilian election that happened, what, a week and a half ago... He brought some people on that really, I think, helped explain uh, one person in particular because uh, it made no sense. It made no sense. Um, it, it felt like 2020. In fact, last night felt like 2020. Some of the states that had problems in 2020 were the same ones that had problems again or, or had results that were unexpectedly blue when we were thinking it was going to be more red. Uh, I'm talking about Arizona. I'm talking about uh, Michigan, uh, Virginia. So some of these places um, had that had issues in 2020, still having possibly some issues, or at least from the initial look of things, it seems like they might. But anyway, this uh, I forget who the guest was, but um, they were bringing up the fact that in the Brazilian election, you had Bolsonaro winning not only the major cities, but also the landmass. So it would explain to me a scenario in which you win the urban and the rural areas and you still lose the election. Also, he won every, I think they call them districts, but they, it was like five districts. Is it five in Brazil? I can't remember. But every district he won except one. And that one district was all the, uh, the votes for Lulu <laughs> that put him just over the top enough. Uh, you also had his party expanding their local uh, representation by 30%. And so, so how does that work? That happened in 2020 with Trump too. How, how does it work when you have the person at the top of the ticket loses the election, but people riding his coattails end up doing well? It makes no sense, right? So he's bringing up some of that stuff. And um, anyway, I'm not going to go, oh, Pennsylvania. I didn't mention Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's at the top of the list of interesting things that happened. I can say, I will say no more <laughs> right now uh, on uh, since we are streaming on um, a particular uh website that uh, doesn't like it when you start pointing certain things out. Okay, so uh, 
Thoughts on the, I don't really have thoughts on the California races. All right, we're going to talk about switching gears just a little bit, not too much. We're, I want to talk about um, just my sense of what's what the Republicans could do better or what they should not do. And I just wrote five things down. I just jotted them down right before the show. And just things that I've observed over the last few years, and there's probably more, but the, it's not exhaustive, but these are just four like big things that just stand out to me that we Republicans need to stop. We have too much confidence as a party in democracy, as if it is sacred. And I don't know exactly what the solution is in every sense. Obviously, thinking local is part of this, but there is, in our country, and in the Western world in general, there is such a commitment to democracy. If you just have democracy, if you just spread democracy to countries that don't have it, the desert will bloom. And I'm reminded of, uh, if you go to First Peter chapter 2, verses, uh, starting at verse 13, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay, what are human institutions here? Well, whether to a king as one who is in authority, or to governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise for those who do right. And so at the end, too, if you go to uh, verse 17, it says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, this is in a context, obviously, in which you have uh, an emperor, you have uh, a totally different system than is set is in place right now in the United States. But yet this was something that uh, could those who lived in that, who are Christians, could operate in. And it, there wasn't instructions here about, you know, see if you can implement a democracy. Now, here, here's what I'll say about this. There's a reason that we have a representative form of government, and, and it's, uh, it's a good thing. I, I much favor a representation, and I, I, but it is contingent upon virtue and self-government. If we can be virtuous and govern ourselves, then we have the character, we have we don't have the corruption that will lead to the decay of a republic. We can actually uh, have a limited government that is uh, powerless to really uh, do too much as a, as a whole to um, take away our freedoms. And uh, so, so we have we have liberty to do what God has told us to do. And um, simultaneously, if you have a virtuous people, they're going to make good decisions on who they represent on who represents them. And if it's at small enough of a scale, you might even be able to hold that person accountable. And so it's better than getting a tyrannical king in there or a king who could possibly be tyrannical. However, we know that the best form of government is a benevolent dictatorship when the Jesus, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes down and reigns. And so if you have a king, if you have someone who's a, uh, uh, a monarch, uh, who is righteous, that, that is not necessarily a bad scenario. We see that in First Peter chapter 2, that it's not a, a, against um, what uh, the Lord, it's, it's not sinful in and of itself or, or um, e- evil to have that kind of a system set, up, set in place. Now, we know that um, for the children of Israel, when they wanted a king, the uh, retort was, well, if you have a king, they're going to tax you at 10%. Can you believe it? 10%, which was supposed to be, that's t- that's tyranny, right? And now we're like, well, that'd be great, 10%. Oof. Uh, but you know, that was the downside of a king. So there's downsides, but it's not sinful. And and I, I think here's where um, different forms, different human institutions, forms of government uh, can be suited to different peoples. And we have to take a good, long, hard look at where we are as a people right now. And I don't mean just as a people conglomerate in the United States. I mean, as in, as a people in your state, in your local region, um, 
because we have such a big country, the human scale is just off the charts. So we have to think in smaller bites. But if you live in Chicago, I mean, is is really is democracy working out for you too well? <laughs> is it safe to uh, uh, walk the streets of Chicago, for example? You know, democracy isn't making anything better. Um, wouldn't it be better if you had someone in there who would be tough on crime? And what we say, John, it would be better if we could have, you know, vote someone in. And I agree. I agree. But if, if the options are, and they're not, but if the options were someone who wasn't elected, but who was in charge and tough on crime versus someone who was elected, who's not tough on crime, because that's the only kind of person you're going to get in Chicago, what's better? Well, you know what's better. And so what I'm, here's what I'm not suggesting, because here's what people are going to accuse me of. They're going to accuse me of going after democracy, of, uh, uh, of wanting a dictatorship. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying I, want, I don't want a dictatorship. Um, and and I, we don't even have a democracy technically. We have a republic in the United States. And, and I love a republic. I want to keep a republic. But here's the thing. It's not a suicide principle. It's not something that we can hold so tightly to that, um, and, and here's what I see Republicans doing, and this is where I get in trouble with uh, the uh, particular website that is streaming this, so I have to be uh, read between the lines a little in what I'm saying here, but uh, I think there's a reason that why certain uh, Republicans and even talk radio hosts don't want to grapple with what happened in 2020. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And part of it is because of the love affair with democracy. And this is the left pulls it out every single time. If you question anything, if you, then you are questioning democracy, right? That's their line of attack. Every single democracy is the highest good, and I'd like to suggest to you it is not the highest good. Righteousness is the highest good. And when a people is evil, um, it and they're incapable of governing themselves, which is we're getting to that point. We got to start thinking this way. We're getting to that point then democracy doesn't work. And I, representative government doesn't work. It falls, eventually falls apart. So I'm not, a, I'm not against that stuff at all. I'm for a virtuous people. That's what we need to get back to. But we can't die on this hill of, well, any questioning of certain processes <laughs> that happened last night maybe means that, uh, well, you're just against democracy and therefore you can be blacklisted now. And Republicans are afraid of that. And so we have way too much confidence in democracy. When there's corruption, uh, it doesn't work. And um, and there's oh man, so much more things I want to say and directions I can go in here. But uh, I think that's sufficiently uh, provocative enough to start helping some of you ask these questions in your own mind, which is really all I want to do. I want to provoke you to ask these questions in your own mind. Um, and just come up with what do you think would be best for your community? And if, if if it's not democracy, what is it? If it's um, or if if it should be a representative form of government, then how do you fix what's what's gone wrong? What's the mechanism for getting back to righteousness? Uh, so that's one thing. Um, another thing that I would love to. Uh, talk to Republic, and I guess I'll cap it off with this I, I, before I leave the democracy thing. This is really, I think, the, the kernel, this, this is the, the gist of what I want to say, the, the bottom line here, my point. When you're overly optimistic about democracy, when you think if you just add it, it fixes everything, it solves all the problems, then you will be kicking the can down the road every two years. 
and you're just going and you're going to be wasting time and effort you could be putting other places pouring into making people more virtuous pouring into local things because uh, you have a commitment to the just the if we can just get the representative process working then it's going to correct itself and the confidence is in the people just be very careful of that be very careful of having confidence in people if they're a virtuous people then you can have some confidence in them when they're not virtuous anymore you can't you can't and i heard a lot of talk today even on the radio about trusting the will of the people that the people will figure it out that they know they don't all the time okay uh the second thing um trying to be like the democrats this is another thing republicans are doing they, they want to out i don't even know how know what term to use here i wrote down out equaling which isn't really a word but they they want to be though they, they want to be better than the democrats in that uh they're more commitment to they're they're even more committed to diversity and equality and all these things that the democrats say they're for they're really not for we're for them and just some bible verses there's so many that i think apply to this but um, Proverbs 22, 24, do not associate with a man given anger or go with a hot-tempered man. Uh, do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. Proverbs 23, 6. Proverbs 24, 1, do not be envious of evil men nor desire to be with them. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And I, mean, I could just go on and on about this guilt by association. Uh, when you are When you try to be like someone who's evil, when you try to um, copy their, uh, when you're jealous of them, you try to copy the things that they do, you become like them. And that is a problem. And that's what Republicans have been doing. And one of the big ways they've been doing it, and they, they've thought for the last five or six years at least that this is a good winning strategy, is to call the Democrats the real Nazis, the real fascists, the real uh, Klansmen, the real uh, discriminators, the real, okay, you know what I'm talking about because you've heard it a million times and some Republicans campaign on this uh, and, and they try to, they have a mythology about the Republican party, which is, is half true, half false, but they'll, they'll go back and they'll try to say that the it's Republican party. We ended slavery and we were, uh, we, we didn't intern the Japanese in World War II and uh, we are uh, the ones that are for equality. We passed the civil rights legislation. You, you know all this. And I pointed out before all the holes. There's so much holes in that narrative. It's, it's worse than Swiss cheese. But uh, what I think the, the basic problem with it, though, is what they're trying to do is they're trying to convince voters that if you elect them, they're actually going to be more committed to equality egalitarian equality, equality before the law, whatever kind of equality, some version of it, than the Democrats are. So you th you vote for the Democrats thinking they're not the racists, they're not the sexists. But in reality, uh, what they're what they're trying to do is is out Democrat the Democrats and say no, actually let's point the finger back at the Democrats. They're the racists, they're the sexists. Now here's here's where I'll say there's um, there's some validity to this. When you're pointing out the hypocrisy of the other side, I think that can be very helpful. I do that all the time on this podcast. <laughs> like you know, these CRT people thinking that they're Hey, we're not being discriminatory. And that's exactly what they're being, right? Or, or when they, if they say things like that. It, it, but actually, they kind of know they're being discriminatory, but it's for the cause of equality. It's how that works. So I, pointing out their hypocrisy, if you can do it, great. Jesus did it with the Pharisees all the time. Here's where the, where the problem comes in. When you go the extra step of you're not just pointing out their hypocrisy anymore, you're saying that you are better than them, more advanced than them in the very quality that they are campaigning on. So if they're campaigning on equality 
And uh, in the mind of the voter, that means, man, I want to get more stuff. I'm going to get uh, Santa Claus is coming to my house and he's going to take from all these people, rip me off and he's going to give back to me. I got a check in the mail and I, I'm going to finally get the recognition I deserve, right? If that's what the voter thinks and then the Republican comes along and says, actually, guess what? That That's the Santa Claus over there. You think it, it, the Democrat, you think it's Santa Claus? Actually, no, no, no. They're but hateful, discriminatory. Vote for me. I'm going to make your life better. I'm the real per, the force of equality here. Guess what? My party is, we've always been for equality. That is a failing strategy because here's what it does. We infiltrate ourselves when we do that because we train our people now to think in these racial terms and that it's happening, I'm telling you, it's happening on the Republican side all over the place. Uh, they, they are so, I mean, we don't even have to be told now. Republicans will naturally uh, be the ones now to put, uh, e- even if they're not as qualified, they will put a woman out in front. Right? They will put uh, a racial minority out in front. They will now, in, in certain cases, they will put same-sex attracted person, LGBT person out in front as proof that they're not bigots because they want to so badly poke a hole in that Democrat narrative. And so they lead with that. That's what the first foot they put down is that. And they want to be known for that. And that is a recipe for destruction. I've said that from the beginning. And I don't, I, I don't have any proof that last night was part of this. I'm just... Uh, it could be, though. I don't know. The, the amount of uh, Republicans who have gotten behind that kind of thinking, it could be. Because guess what? You're never going to outcompete the Democrats on that. You're never going to. And if you do, then you're no longer a Republican. <laughs> That's just, you know, if you're, you're going to have to get into redistribution land with them. And you're never going to outcompete Santa Claus. He's got all the gifts. And uh, no matter how many things you say about how are racist and, and bad and, and sexist they are, the Democrats will always offer more ba- a bigger bag of goodies than the Republicans will offer. And it's because they're willing to take from other people. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's money or if it's prestige or uh, platforming or position or um, privilege or any of this stuff. The Democrats will every day, twice on Sunday, take from those who uh, they find convenient to take from, who are not their political allies, and reward those who will be their political allies. Republicans don't do that. At least they, they shouldn't be doing that. So that's the, the second thing, is trying to be more committed to equality than the Democrats. Don't, don't even try to campaign on that. that that's not, once you go down that road, you're in their territory, and you don't want to be in their territory. Make them come to your territory. And some Republicans, to their credit, really did that. Actually, believe it or not, I think, and I didn't watch everything Carrie Lake was saying, but I think she actually is good at doing this. Trump is actually pretty good at doing this. Ron DeSantis is pretty good. When you see them interact with the media, especially, they are really good at framing things so that the media is on their turf rather than them being on the media's turf. And it, it, it's a skill uh, to be able to do that. But... Um, they, they're not starting out with the premise that, well, who, whoever's the, the most uh, equitable is the best person, and the Democrats will win that every single time. Uh, what they start out with is uh, what, what are their actual uh, tangible on-the-ground conditions? Are your families uh, in danger of crime? Uh, is illegal migration uh, you know, affecting, in, in the case of Arizona and Florida, is it affecting uh, your communities? Is it straining uh, the... the um, services that you have to the point that they can't function anymore. Uh, what's happening to your kids in the classroom? I mean, they're focusing on tangible realities, not abstract 
things. So get out of that abstract land as much as you can and focus on the tangible realities. I would say that to uh, Republicans. And sec uh, thirdly, Republicans tend to lack confidence. And we ought to get back to having some confidence. Um, if you um, look at Proverbs 18, uh, verses 15 through 16, it says, By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all who judge rightly. And it's talking about wisdom there. Wisdom personified. By wisdom kings reign. There's nothing to be ashamed of when you're using wisdom to arrive at your political conclusions and crafting the laws that we will live under. Republicans, though, tend to be very ashamed. For some reason, they're sheepish. I saw this with Lee Zeldin here in New York. If you watch the debate between him and Kathy Hochul, Lee Zeldin is just, he seems nervous. He seems cheap, sheepish. Certain questions, like he doesn't want to, um, and I, to some extent I understand why, but he doesn't want to own Donald Trump. And I have compassion. I, I, I get, like I could, look, I'm not a, like a better than him or anything. I could see myself in this similar set of circumstances quivering and caving uh, possibly uh, without the help of the Lord. But we need the help of the Lord. And we need to just, if if the Bible says it, and if and even if you're not a Christian, if you're a conservative, but you support biblical values, right? And, and you are supporting things that are righteous, don't back away from it. Don't try to massage it, temper it. This is what TGC does all the time, right? The Gospel Coalition with uh, scriptural principles that the culture finds or the world finds offensive. They tend to just try to couch it in very vague terms, general terms, dilute it if possible, uh, say something else on that, that sounds contradictory to it so that people aren't really sure what you believe and that way you can hide in this vagueness. That's ridiculous. That's not a recipe for winning. And it, it struck me how much Democrats and Kathy Hochul, uh, Hochul in particular is confident. She, and she's for evil, but she's confident in her, in her evil. She'll say things that aren't even popular in New York, uh, like like how much she loves Biden. Like she doesn't need to say that. It's not going to help. She, she already has the Democrats on her side, but she goes there anyway. Uh, I mean, she, her advertisements were totally pro-abortion. She, I, I think she probably could have actually won with a greater margin of victory if she didn't go as radical as she went. But she's going to go there because that's what she believes. And it's possible that actually that confidence helps. And when Republicans lack confidence, it looks like they lack leadership ability. Got to get back to confidence. Have confidence in the principles that we believe. Have confidence in um, in righteousness. And, and so it's really as simple as that. And then um, lack of self-reflection. Uh, so we need to also realize that Republicans... People who, and, and again, I'm talking about political Republicans here in this whole thing, but political Republicans, not talking about Christians in particular, although there's a lot of Bible-believing Christians in that group. By the way, I'm not even a registered Republican. I'm, a, I'm giving this advice to Republicans, but I'm a registered conservative in New York for what it, what, whether it matters or not. I figured I'd just let everyone know. But we have to, uh, as conservatives or Republicans, political conservatives, realize that there's a lot of problems on our side. And it's not all the Democrats' fault. Not everything is the Democrats' fault. Um, when was the last time you heard a Republican governor or any official make a public proclamation to prayer, to repentance, to humiliation? This used to happen all the time. It doesn't happen anymore. It used to happen with both parties all the time. Calls to prayer, 
Uh, the best you get now is after a hurricane comes, the president says our thoughts and prayers are with you, and that's about it. There's a prayer breakfast every year where they don't really pray. <laughs> I mean, we don't have public calls to these things anymore. We have to not acknowledge the sins that are not just on the Democrat side, but f that exist universally. And there are a lot of them. Uh, every, if you ever go and look at the statistics of those who uh, even get abortions, there's a whole lot of people getting abortions in red areas. Now, not as much as blue areas, but um, there's a whole lot of people in red areas getting abortions. Some people will say it's more people because it's redder states that are, and they, they, but if you do it on a county by county basis, it's not, it is more, it is more blue areas. That being said though, it is happening. Um, pornography, uh, uh, you know, how, how, I mean, I don't know, my mind's drawing a blank now. <laughs> it shouldn't be because there's a, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking of before I started this podcast, but uh, even even things like just cheating on taxes and uh, I mean some of these things are just they've been going on for so long on our side of the equation the, the political conservatives quote unquote and I'm not blaming all this on political conservatives at all I'm not I'm not drawing a moral equivalency at all Democrats are for rank evil I'm just saying that Republicans have got to reflect on themselves a little bit here too not all the problems are just the Democrats. Uh, there's, you know, I, I even think of, uh, parents who raise children and the, and the children, you know, they, sometimes you can't help the way a kid turns out, but when you don't practice biblical principles in your parenting and then the child comes out and is this raging leftist that hates their parents, you know, whose fault is that? Well, there's some, there's gotta be a shared responsibility with the parents, right? If mom and dad are pursuing their own things and their hobbies and they're neglecting what God told them to do then it's not the, just the Democrats' fault. If you send your kids to the Democrats' institutions like the public school, whose, whose fault is that? If you have the ability to, uh, to, to school them yourself or find an alternative. And so um, we, we have to acknowledge that. And uh, so I, I would love to see more calls to repentance, to prayer, to humiliation. We have to trust God at the end of the day. That's, the, that's what Republicans have got to get back to. Not what's going to happen in two years. Not what's Trump going to get us out of. It's It's got to be, Lord, unless you do something here, we're done. And that kind of a desperation, that kind of a, a humility. We can't out-game this. We can't out-strategize this. We could have the smartest heads in the room, and there's nothing that we can do without the help of the Lord. If we don't get back to that, um, even on a local level, I don't see much hope. So... Think local, act local, start with your local communities, but uh, that, that has to be part of the equation somehow. Uh, virtuous people is necessary to safeguard a republic. So uh, th these are the, the, this is the old way of doing things that we need to change as Republicans or political conservatives. Uh, and I'll just go over again real quick. Uh, we got to stop having confidence in democracy as, as if it's sacred. We got to start stop trying to be um, more equitable than the Democrats in our messaging. We got to stop uh, lacking confidence, and we have to have some self reflection. That's what I jotted down before this particular podcast. Okay, uh, before we switch gears, because we are going to switch gears, I'm going to show you something I've been working on all day. Uh, figure we'll uh, look at uh, some of the comments that have been. 
put on here. Yeah, wow, a lot of comments. I don't have time to read all these, but uh, thank you uh, so many of you for uh, weighing in. Definitely appreciate it. We got people streaming from Australia. Uh, yeah, California, man. Someone's from Eureka in Red Country, California. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. It's hard when you're living in California. I mean, most of the state's red, and uh, you prefer that Northern California were Jefferson. And it wasn't part of the rest of the state, but it's just these cities uh, control the rest. And it won't be a quick fix, Paul B. says. It will, it will take effort. People um, don't like effort, especially since too many Christians I know think it's good to support the godless in government to show uh, they are, yeah, I'm not sure what the, sentence, the last sentence is, but yes, it will take effort. Okay. Um, <laughs> Minnesota doesn't have a governor. Just two mayors, the Twin Cities decides the election. Those of us in the outstate need to separate. Yeah, that's, I feel that way in New York a little bit too. And then uh, Sharon Harris says, hey, I wonder if we're related. Sharon Harris. Uh, no matter how well uh, run a campaign, how smart a candidate, doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter how many people get out to vote. Our nation is under judgment. It's not going to uh, back to incorrupt. Well, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It does matter. What you do matters. Uh, how you deal with this matters. And it is not the time to give up. And I'll talk about that more later uh, in this. Um, I can understand that feeling. But um, I'm not, don't be Pollyanna. Don't buy what some of these talk radio shows are trying to sell you that, man, it's good. The conditions are better for Trump now. Or, you know, if Carrie Lake pulls it off or, you know, okay, whatever. But what you need to do is put your hope in the Lord and just do what he tells you to do. Think local. Think what you can control. Uh, the, the greatest influence you have is going to be on a local level more so. And um, you need to set your expectations accordingly. So uh, don't get all discouraged when you lose something either, when you've done the right thing. Just keep going. I mean, the, the left doesn't even do that, right? And I mean, and they're serving the devil. So <laughs> for the most part, they just get up and um, and they go again. They They're relentless like that. So... Okay, um, should we seek ju justice or mercy from God? How about both? How about, uh, I, I mean, this is how I pray. You know, Lord, I pray you would, those who, who hate your law, who stand against you in the public arena, who um, are evil thoroughly and, and practice evil and help others, want others to practice evil, celebrate evil, Lord, I pray you judge them. Sometimes I'll name them. And Lord, you know, I, I pray for mercy on your people. I pray for mercy on those who, um, who love you, and, and usually I pray for for those who are Christians in particular. But um, I'll pray for mercy on even just you know the people that are ignorant of what's going on above them and, and mindlessly following, you know. So so that's how I pray. Okay, um, let's uh, switch gears a little bit here. Let's see if there's anything else I wanted to show you when it comes to the election. Yeah, let's see. Um, there were, but they're, they're small things. I was going to, I, I was going to try to explain Florida and I, I don't know if I have, I don't, I didn't do enough research to really explain. It. I was wondering, this is my, my curiosity is peaked uh, as to whether Florida, because it has a, an older average age of the voters, if that plays into it. And if there's a generational difference as well, if that could be part of why Florida is going more red, and I, whether it's going more red or just Republicans have shifted left and Florida just there's older people there and it hasn't shifted as far. So they end up falling more in a Republican uh, under a Republican uh, banner now. 
because uh, they didn't move as fast as the rest of the country is moving. I don't know. Um, anyway, I was just spitballing about that. Let's shift uh, focus, though, to um, this. And um, I want to play this for you. This is a... Uh, I'll, I'll actually watch it with you. This is a video that I actually helped uh, produce today. And um, it, it, so I was on the phone yesterday with Brian McClanahan, uh, who uh, has his own show, the Brian McClanahan Podcast. And um, I, I appreciate his podcast. It, he's a history guy, uh, different than what I cover, but um, I, I can be a little bit of a history nerd on some things. And so uh, I like uh, what he's got. And um, he, he also is now, I think, just newly uh, became the executive director, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's his title, the Abbeville Institute. And so two years ago, I had a vision for uh, not, not one of those visions. Don't get excited. <laughs> I had a, uh, an idea for, um, for a project that I thought would be just extremely beneficial. And as a project that I was hoping would have already come out, but it hasn't yet, but it's going to. And it's called the 1607 Project. I've mentioned it before. And I sent out an email to a number of people. Brian McClanahan, uh, I don't know if I sent it to him directly or someone forwarded it to him, but eventually he got wind of it. And my idea was essentially this, that there's a 1619 Project that is corrupting, I'm telling some things the 1619 Project says that are actually true, believe it or not. It's not like everything's a lie. But they're twisting it into a narrative that they want to jam down the throats of young people in this country. And I think Donald Trump's right when he says they want you to pretty much hate your country. <laughs> and it, it, they don't want you to confer an American identity upon yourself. Think of yourself as an American. I mean, that would be a shameful thing because America is a terrible place, right? And then in response, the Trump administration put out the 1776 Project. But the 1776 Project, or commission, I guess it was called, wasn't really that great. In fact, I had some major problems with it that I've, uh, I know I've talked about it before on this podcast. And um, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but um, it was very proposition nation driven, uh, that America is just an idea kind of thing. And uh, it trying to, um, trying to tell what I would say is also somewhat of a slanted story about the country. So, what we need, I think, is a paradigm that makes sense of all the facts and tells you the true story of what America actually is. And you're going to get that. And I was thinking sequentially. You don't start at 1619 when the first, and they say slaves, indentured servants, though, came to Virginia they were, who were from Africa. Um, that was also, by the way, the first... <laughs> that was also the year, I think, the first elected assembly met in Virginia, too. So there's that, but... Now we'll just focus on the Dutch slave ship or indentured servant ship. So uh, you're not going to get there starting with 1619. You're not going to um, get there starting in 1776 either because the, the country existed preceding 1776. The country didn't just come into existence because of the American uh, Revolution or War for Independence and, and, and the quote-unquote ideals that uh, were embodied in that. There was in some places in this country or, or on the, the land mass that we consider to be America, there was hundreds of years of history already, well over a hundred years. And, and so I think of America as an organic thing. It formed over time. It wasn't, it, it's not, uh, you, uh, you, you can't capture America in a bunch of abstract 
notions or propositions and say that's what America is. I've talked about this before on the podcast. So I, I said, I proposed a 1607 project. And it's, I picked 1607 because that was Jamestown. That was when the first English settlers came to what is now the United States. And it seems like the most logical place to start. Now, some people wanted like 1620, the Pilgrims, but 1607 is first. And Virginia is actually, especially for the early part of American history, was much more influential than Massachusetts. Uh, in other words, more presidents, more Supreme Court justices. Uh, I mean, that's where the revolution was won. That's where the first elected assembly was. That's where the uh, Declaration of Independence was written. That's, um, I mean, they supplied Virginia, America, really the seeds of America. If you want to trace, it's, it's kind of like this. If you have a, a, a headwaters of a river, you're going to have all kinds of, uh, of other converging streams coming into that river. But when you trace the headwaters, you're looking for what, where's, where's the root of the issue? Where, where does it actually start? And I would say 1607, all right? So I, I wrote out a whole plan of what I would like to see. I would love to see curriculum for homeschoolers. I'd love to see uh, maybe a book, a documentary. And, um, and so Brian McClanahan got wind of this, and we, we ended up talking. And long story short, it's happening. It's happening, and it's very close to being done. In fact, most of the essays that will be part of the 1607 Project book have been written, and by the end of the year, they should all be done. And there is going to be a, a documentary, and I, I'm going to put it on the website once uh, once it's ready and, and up and everything. I uh, We already have a trailer and everything. In fact, uh, I helped film it earlier this year, and it's going to be good. It's going to be high quality, and I'm going to ask for whoever can spare support to support it. Uh, I, what I'd love to see happen is this for this to get out on the internet, and then for um, us to get a, some kind of a, a curriculum together, if we get enough funding, that we can take to homeschool conventions and places like that. I think that's where we're, this is going to have to start. And it's going to be a supplement. It's going to be an inoculation, a vaccination against the garbage, the CRT-driven garbage that the public schools are propagating. So I talked to Brian McClanahan about that again yesterday. And just that's the update is, is we're getting very close here. And so I'm already looking at stock footage and, uh, and, and pretty soon we're going to have to make some travel uh, decisions about where we're going to go to, to film things and to film interviews and all of that. So I can appreciate your prayers on that. But some of you have wondered what's going on next, John, you've made a few documentaries and what this has been something that's been in the works for a while. And it's uh it, it's starting to, to uh, come to fruition. So, all right. So while I was talking to him yesterday, um, he mentioned something to me about this. And by the, and it was, uh, in my, by the way, if you're not subscribed to Chronicles Magazine, you need to be. Uh, Chronicles Magazine, a magazine of American culture. It's like one of the few magazines I can actually endorse on a certain level and say it's a good magazine uh, for politics. And, and that's what this episode is about. And um, on the front of it is a statue. And um, here, here's what it says. It says, The Fate of Moses Ezekiel and His Memorial to the Confederate Dead. This is a statue that happens to be in Arlington National Cemetery. Arlington National Cemetery, of course, was Robert E. Lee's land, confiscated during the war, and then turned into a cemetery. And um, it's been a tradition for years for uh, presidents, United States presidents, to go and lay a reef at the grave of the Confederate dead to, um, th there's a 
uh, a reconciliation motif <laughs> that exists there. Union soldiers buried uh, next to Confederate soldiers. And uh, it, it, the message being sent is supposed to be that the nation's wounds are, have been healed, that we're all Americans now. We all uh, can work together now. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. The more I, I heard about this from Brian, uh, Dr. McClanahan, the more I thought, I want to help out with this because this is, this is crazy. So I was reading the article here too. And Moses Ezekiel is quite the remarkable figure. In fact, he was, he's a very important American figure. I didn't realize he's, he's probably one of the best sculptors, if not the best sculptor that America's ever produced. He's a Jewish American. So this is actually, this is Jewish history too that's being erased here. And he went to Europe, uh, to Rome. I mean, he was visited by and admired by uh, five presidents, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, all the way through Warren uh, Harding. Uh, he had the U.S. ambassador to Italy, and he, he had uh, visit, visits from um, uh, composers and just all kinds of people uh, to do work. He did hundreds of statues. Uh, of all kinds of, of things. You're in Europe, uh, he did you know, colonial statues. But he thought one of his best achievements was this particular statue to these Confederate uh, dead uh, in Arlington National Cemetery. So much so that um, I believe he died in Italy, but it was his wish to be buried uh, underneath that particular, um, on, on the grounds of that particular statue. And so his grave is right there. His grave is there. The, the, where he is buried is right there. It's his headstone, this monument. It's not just a monument. It's his headstone because he went to Virginia Military Institute and he actually uh, was, he lost shoes in the field of lost shoes. If, if those uh, who know Civil War history know what I'm talking about, the Battle of Newmarket. And he always saw himself as a soldier, even though he became this eminent uh, sculptor. And... Just recently, the Biden administration set up a, uh, a commission called the Names Commission, for short, to try to figure out what kind of bases and ships and, and other things need to be renamed because they might have ties to something Confederate-related. And some of, their, some of the stuff is ridiculous. Like, for, for example, renaming the USS Chancellorsville because it's named after a battle that, oh, guess what? The Confederates won that battle, so therefore we can't even have our boat named after it. It's like both sides participated in the battle. But, I mean, it's just trying to get rid of our history our, as a country. It's, it's kind of insane. But it gets more insane when you realize they want to take apart this man's uh, grave. They want to, to destroy not just a piece of art, but they want to destroy... Um, the legacy of one of the most prominent sculptors our country's ever produced who happens to be a prominent Jewish American as well. It's, it's not just, and it's a point that I've made for a long time. And I've said since 2015, there's two issues that Republicans and conservatives in general, political conservatives caved on at a national level, which were death blows that you have to, there's no way to recover from it. You have to go back and correct these things, in my opinion, before you can really make any progress. One was same-sex marriage. They decided we're not going to fight on that anymore. And now you see where The Blaze, The Daily Wire, PragerU, and all these organizations have gone. They support same-sex marriage now as organizations. 
but hey, don't let transgenders be people in, in, go into girl sports. Well, yeah, like, why, why not? If if uh, it's okay to, I mean, if if it's okay to have same sex marriage, then you've lost the argument from the get go. You have no basis for arguing your position. Same thing with the Confederate monument situation. As soon as that happened in 2015, that was the year when those things started coming down. I knew as soon as it happened. I remember, I remember where I was when I said it. I said, "This is the end of this. Will uh, this is the attack on all of American history?" And so many people didn't understand. What, what are you talking about, John? You can just excise this one element. As I know, you can't. They're going to use the same logic on everything else. And sure enough, that's exactly what they're doing. And that's what the 1619 project is. So now it's getting into let's rip down the legacy of this prominent Jewish American. And I frankly am, it's an interesting article. I'm not going to give you all the details of it. But I was, um, I, the thought I had was, is nothing sacred anymore? Is nothing sacred? Is, I mean, is there anything that's safe anymore from the cancel culture crowd? There's no transcendence. There's no, not even a gravesite, not even somewhere where, where someone's bones are buried, who wasn't even primarily known as a Confederate. It was someone who was a sculptor. If, the, if their grave is not even a sacred place, that it can just be, uh, be, be for political correct reasons, for politically correct reasons, we can just excise you know, that, that particular tomb, then who's safe? No one is. No one is. Nothing is. And that's what we live in now. We, we hear things like the Temple of Democracy in D.C. It's a sacred place. You shouldn't go in there. Nancy Pelosi said January 6th that, you know, that was a... But they're just words. They don't mean anything. There's, no, there's nothing sacred anymore. Hardly at all. We've destroyed the institution of marriage on a, on a national level. I'm not saying all the people believe this in, in your neck of the woods necessarily. But on, on a legal and a national level, we've destroyed things that God says are sacred. Uh, death, you know, that's a sacred thing. Marriage is a sacred thing. These, these are like the two biggest things that happen in one's lifetime, other than being born, which, by the way, abortion. So um, it's like <laughs> the three things that happen in your life that are the most significant things, uh, natural things, so short of, of being a Christian, but the three, the three most natural things that happen, you're, you're, you're born uh, you get married and you die. None of those things are sacred things anymore. So, um, the, the, since we're just living in a, a land of, of pure presentism and just wh whatever fits our needs and offends us right now, and we're willing to spend millions of dollars to get rid of something that might, uh, I guess, offend us, I figured I would lend my hand in, um, in making this video. And so Brian uh, did the narration and uh, today I, I put together uh, the slideshow for this, and I'm just going to show you all. Uh, this is on, um, he posted it on the Abel Institute website, but this is um, about a little over eight minutes long, the Arlington Confederate Monument. And uh, it's a call to action because this is going to be voted on uh, by the end of this month, whether or not to take down this headstone and... I think if we keep doing this, if we um, keep taking down statues to the founders and to soldiers and to explorers and, and, and now not even a mob doing it. I mean, this is, that's the difference here. This is like literally an intentional 
federal government, you know, this is official as it can get. If we start doing this, then it all comes down and there's nothing sacred and there's there's nothing to really glue us together as far as it's very hard to have any national identity at all anymore. So um, check it out. Uh, and I think this is relevant to all Americans, North, South, East, West. On September 19, 2022, the Naming Commission issued a final report on Confederate iconography in the United States military. Created in 2020 as part of the National Defense Authorization Act, the eight-member panel was led by Chair Admiral Michelle Howard and Vice Chair General Ty Sigley. Howard is the highest-ranking woman in naval history. Sigley gained fame with the publication of an anti-Confederate polemic, Robert E. Lee and Me, and for a widely viewed YouTube video on the Civil War. He taught history at the United States Military Academy for 16 years and is now a visiting professor of history at Hamilton College in New York. Democrats established the Naming Commission after the 2020 Summer of Love riots in response to the death of George Floyd and in unison with other attempts that year to remove or contextualize Confederate monuments across the United States. President Donald Trump vetoed the legislation that created the commission, arguing that it included language that would require the renaming of certain military installations. Trump emphasized that he had been clear in my opposition to politically motivated attempts like this to wash away history and to dishonor the immense progress our country has fought for in realizing our founding principles. Congress voted to override his veto by crushing majorities in both the House and Senate. Only five Senate Republicans and 66 House Republicans voted against overriding Trump's veto. The commission recommended renaming nine military installations, four naval vessels, and dozens of patches, streets, buildings, and memorials. While predictable, the most egregious recommendation from the commission centers on the Confederate monument in Arlington National Cemetery. Ty Sigley argued that the monument should be stripped down to its granite base plate. Why? Because Sigley and the other members of the commission thought that the history portrayed on the bronze relief smacked of the lost cause myth. But what is the real history of the monument? President William McKinley, a Union War veteran who served with distinction in several battles in the Eastern Theater, suggested the creation of a monument in Arlington National Cemetery to commemorate the over 200,000 Confederate soldiers who died during the war. This was the high point of reconciliation in the United States. McKinley thought that such a monument would, as Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, bind up the nation's wounds. McKinley said in 1898 that every soldier's grave made during our unfortunate Civil War is a tribute to American valor. The time has now come when in the spirit of fraternity we should share in the care of the graves of the Confederate soldiers. Cordial feeling now happily existing between the North and South prompts this gracious act, and if it needed further justification, it is found in the gallant loyalty to the Union, the flag so conspicuously shown in that year, just passed by the sons and grandsons of these heroic dead. Two years later, the United States Congress followed through on McKinley's suggestion and crafted legislation which ordered the Secretary of War to have reburied in some suitable spot in the National Cemetery at Arlington and to place proper headstones at their graves, the bodies of about 128 Confederate soldiers now buried in the National Soldiers' Home near Washington, D.C., and the bodies of about 136 Confederate soldiers now buried in the National Cemetery at Arlington, Virginia. Eventually, the remains of over 400 Confederate soldiers will be interred at Arlington. In 1906, Secretary of War William H. Taft 
agreed to allow members of the United Daughters of the Confederacy to begin raising funds for a Confederate monument at Arlington. They eventually commissioned Jewish-American Moses Ezekiel to design and sculpt the finished product. Ezekiel was the first Jewish cadet at the Virginia Military Institute and fought at the Battle of New Market in 1864. He later studied art and sculpture in Rome and Berlin and became a famous international artist. His work was admired by international leaders and celebrities and featured in both Europe and the United States. Ezekiel would eventually be buried at the foot of the Arlington Confederate Monument, making it his literal headstone. In 1912, Taft, now as President of the United States, presided over the cornerstone dedication ceremony. Taft described the memorial as a beautiful monument to the heroic dead of the South and called the ceremony the benediction of all true Americans. Two years later, President Woodrow Wilson unveiled the monument as an emblem of a reunited people and argued that such a monument was only possible in a democracy. He hoped that such a monument would be a symbol of our duty and our privilege to be like the country we represent, and speaking no word of malice, no word of criticism even, stand shoulder to shoulder to lift the burdens of mankind in the future, show the paths of freedom to all the world. To these men and to that generation of Americans, the monument represented the best of America, a spirit of reconciliation, democracy and freedom, of heroism and patriotism. And like William McKinley, many of them had been targets of actual Confederate bullets. If these men could bury the hatchet, what changed decades later? Not the history of the period or the meaning of the monument, but political ideology. In short, America became a much less tolerant place. Historians like Ty Sigley argue that the monument displays an incorrect view of the past by sanitizing and glorifying slavery. The image of an enslaved woman holding the baby of a Confederate soldier going off to war while tears stream down her face has been criticized by modern historians as a distortion of Southern slavery. But is it? Booker T. Washington's autobiography, Up From Slavery, had only recently been published when Ezekiel was designing the monument. Washington was arguably the most respected African-American in the United States in 1906. Washington recounts an Up From Slavery that, in order to defend and protect the women and children who were left on the plantations when the white males went off to war, the slaves would have laid down their lives. The slave who was selected to sleep in the big house during the absence of the males was considered to have the place of honor. Anyone attempting to harm young mistress or old mistress during the night would have had to cross the dead body of the slave to do so. Until recently, historians studying this period often arrived at the same conclusions. The same can be said for the image of the black Southerner marching off to war with white Confederate soldiers. For years, Southerners recognized the contributions of blacks, both free and slave, to the war effort. Many received pensions when the war was over. And while the Confederate government did not legally recognize these men as soldiers, did not authorize arming slaves in return for their freedom until 1865, thousands wore Confederate uniforms, provided manual labor, shouldered a rifle, and shot at Union soldiers, and even died in northern prisons and on the battlefield. That made them black Confederates. Of course, historians like high school history teacher Kevin Levin in his Searching for Black Confederates argued that none of these men could qualify as soldiers because they were not legally recognized as such. But this is mere semantics. 
Black Confederates existed regardless of whether history deniers wished to acknowledge their contributions to the Southern cause for independence. This history is not square with the take-it-down agenda or the spirit of reconciliation. Even Henry Louis Gates, the Harvard professor who sat down with Barack Obama for the famous Beer Summit in 2009, argues black Confederates existed. The truth remains that the Arlington Confederate Monument is a work of art, sculpted by a world-renowned Jewish-American artist, conceived by two northern political leaders, one of whom was literally engaged in physical combat with Confederates, and dedicated in the spirit of fraternity and healing. Booker T. Washington thought that monuments erected in honor of the best of Southern leaders would lead to better race relations in America. Perhaps it would be better to listen to Washington and McKinley, two men who experienced the war firsthand, than a group of modern historians with a political axe to grind. If you agree that the monument should remain, contact your representative today. Time is of the essence. So that's uh, what I spent a lot of time today on uh, because I, I I just thought that you know this is a beautiful story, and of course that's only eight and a half minutes. But uh, especially if you know more about Moses Ezekiel, you're impressed with the guy. And he, right there on the monument, he has he, he includes a black soldier, he has uh, a slave who's uh, crying as uh, uh, the uh, uh, soldiers going off to war. And this was seen at the time by people like Booker T. Washington as a symbol of reconciliation, not just between North and South, between black and white. But this was a step in a direction for healing. And the ironic thing to me is you had men who shot at each other, literally picked up guns and shot at each other for four, for, for almost five years. Tension for decades before that. And they were able to come together again. Now, there was a lot of strife and, and so forth, but they were able to, uh, in a sense, forgive each other, to bury the hatchet, to seek the well-being of the country, and that, that's it. That's incredible. That, that's like a, a level of uh, maturity that today, I mean, I just... I can't even conceive of it happening in our country. We're so divided right now, and we're not shooting at each other. Well, <laughs> some of you who live in some places might disagree with me on that, but uh, we have an inability because we are so different. And so that's my point: is that even people who shot at each other from uh, 160 over 160 years ago could come together, and they had enough in common to kind of patch things back up. Whereas today. Uh, I think we're even we're more divided now in some ways. In some ways, I mean, back then they they both both sides. I guarantee you, north and south both thought boys were boys and girls were girls, right? Um, they both thought that Christianity was a good thing for the most part. The Bible is, you should be respected. There there was a more commonality that they had, even though they fought a war against each other, than we have today in this country. Think about that. And now we're ripping down symbols to that reconciliation. Uh, symbols to our national identity. It's it's uh, it's an acid that just eats everything, and so um, it's something that I've I've followed that issue and uh, continue to follow it to some extent and lend a hand where I can. Partially because I know that 
other political conservatives aren't going to. They're not going to see it as an issue worth even caring about, just like they don't think fighting for marriage is an issue worth caring about anymore. But guess what? Both of them are. And we, we don't want to trail the left. You know, we don't want to keep our distance between us and the left, you know, at the same distance and just be the shadow that follows them, you know, as they continue on their march towards perdition. That's not who we want to be. We want to be uh, actual people with principles who believe in right and wrong, who want to fight for the uh, actual tangible realities, the people in front of us that we uh, care about so much. We want what's best for them. We want to love God and love neighbor. Uh, we don't want we don't want to just be these sort of pragmatic political animals that just do what will we think will get us elected, which I, I'm not buying it anymore. I don't think this is what's getting Republicans elected. Did did you see that last night? Did you see conservatives uh, for the most part? Were they Was there a wet red wave? Were they getting elected because it's working out so well for them to just kind of cave on certain things that they think, well, the population's with the Democrats on that now. Let's, you know, I don't get paid to... Uh, to strategize about elections, but I, I'm just saying, I don't think that's that strategy has been working out. It's time to come up with something else, and I think the something else is we don't back down. And we what, what the law of God says, that should be the fundamental thing. What, what the principles of the Word of God, we just, as Christians, we do not back away from them one inch. We're not ashamed of them. When someone tries to bring something up to smear us, we, don't say, we, we do not uh, in the least bit entertain their critique. We just say that actually if they're opposing God, they're opposing his character, which means they're an enemy of God. And we will, of course, if someone's doing an ignorance, we're gentle, but we will uh, fight for uh, the things that are right. Uh, be uncompromising. So uh, that's that's what I had for the Conversations uh, That Matter podcast today. Um, last but not least, uh, I wanted to just, uh, a couple things from yesterday. Um, because I did that whole podcast on John MacArthur, John Piper, and some people weighed in. A few people said, and, and I was grateful for this, said, hey, look, I made a point where I said that I think you know, MacArthur's saying at one, at one point he says that there is no political solution. You know, Christians shouldn't entertain the thought that there's a political solution. And then here, here he goes and he beats the city of Los Angeles and the state of California. And I said, well, he's engaging in politics. And some people pointed out to me, actually, that's a legal remedy, not a political remedy. And, um, and, and I think that's fine. If you, and, and I even after I recorded that, I thought to myself, man, you know, you, you got to really you got to really make sure you know what you're talking about before you say anything mildly even critical of John MacArthur, just because I have so much respect for him. I just want to make sure. And, and I think I am, you know, it's aged well in my mind. I, I I'm solid in my mind as far as where I stand on that and, and what I think the principles of the word of God say. Um, however, I want to say this about that. If, if you want to categorize it that way and say MacArthur's being consistent, that's fine. But you got to also remember, Jenna Ellis was his lawyer. That's Trump's. He had Trump's lawyer. He went on national television shows to talk about their case. So he entered what would be usually considered a, a semi-political arena to talk about it. Um, he was very public, you know, w with his uh, uh, with his stand, and he chose uh, or the church chose however you want to phrase that, um, to go with Donald Trump's executive order for opening churches rather than Governor Newsom's lockdown order. They made a choice there. I kind of see that as a, that's a somewhat of a political choice. It's a jurisdictional decision. Technically, though, Gavin Newsom, I mean, constitutionally speaking, Gavin Newsom actually would have had more authority there than Donald Trump. But uh, they went with Donald Trump. And 
So I, I do still see that as political, but I just want to say that maybe that is something, it could be that that is, is a way that you could, that MacArthur, people could conceive of MacArthur being consistent. And uh, since more than one person mentioned it to me, I figured I would at least address it. Um, in closing, uh, I just want to say to everyone out there that I know there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of false hope out there right now. And there's also a lot of depression out there right now. There's both. And I don't want, I don't want either one. We, we can't, we can't go down the path of either one of those things. Uh, we still, life goes on no matter what. The sun's still going to rise tomorrow. You're still going to get up and do your thing, go to work, whatever it is, raise, you know, uh, homeschool the kids. And what you do matters in the real world. It, it, it's not, an all, everything's not lost because of, well, it didn't go as well as we were hoping politically. Ultimately, our hope's not in politics. Life's a whole lot more than politics. Yes, politics definitely greatly affects our lives, but uh, it's not the only thing. And I think what you have to do is uh, set your expectations on things that you actually have more control over. And um, and I think you'll be more satisfied with life in general that way. It doesn't mean you, you're not ignorant. We, we have to be. You're listening to this podcast, right? So we have to, uh, you wouldn't be unless if you thought that you shouldn't be uh, listening to things on a national level. We should be paying attention to those things. We should be paying attention to things that happen in other states. But it's it's not with the expectation that you know there's going to be a, a lot of momentum um, in a let's just face it a country that in general I would say is under judgment. Let's set our expectations and that in order for there to really be ultimately a re, uh, return to some semblance of morality and self government and virtue. There's going to have to be repentance. And someone just pointed out to me that Governor Bill Lee um, did actually call for in Tennessee. Now, I don't live in Tennessee, so I don't know these things. September 30th, though, he did call for a day of prayer, humiliation, and fasting. So good for him. Good for him. And I just don't hear about that happening much. But Governor Bill Lee apparently did do that. So if you live in Tennessee, good for you. But if you live in an area that... Um, the people are awake to these things. You do see positive momentum. People are uh, connecting the dots. And praise God. If you're not, though, you got you got some work cut out for you. But you know, don't think that you're a failure or, or that if people are not adopting and promoting biblical morality. Uh, the prophets of old, uh, who, I mean, just think of uh, you know Jeremiah and Isaiah and Jonah, and I mean, did they feel like failures at times? Um, I'm sure at Mount Carmel, it, it, it felt a, a little bit uh, good to be on that high. And then, and what happens next? I don't know what's going to happen. Jezebel's might get me. I mean, th there's going to be ups and downs in all of our lives. But I think what we got to do is focus on the eternal realm, the, the things that are unchangeable, the things that they can't get to, that they can't change, that they can't stop, that they, they and they can't stop what's coming. They can't stop that God wins. You're on the winning team. That's a foregone conclusion. The only question is on the little bit of life that each of us have left, the breath that we have, what's it going to be like for us and our kids? And we want to steward it as best we can. Ultimately, though, we win. Uh, and it's going to be a scary day for those who are promoting evil right now. Very scary. So let's have a, uh, let's have a focus in general. You listen to these podcasts. It's fine. Listen to this podcast. Listen, you know, pay attention to what's happening. But, you know, spend time also though reflecting and praying and just realizing that there is a whole eternal realm out there and it's not contingent on democracy. <laughs> Votes aren't going to stop it. Uh, 
the majority opinion does not matter to it um, because God is the creator and he has created, uh, he has creator rights and he is going to rule and his law will be implemented. And that will happen no matter what your eschatological stripe, it's going to happen at some point. And so um, we're looking forward to that day. And in the meantime, just enjoy the ride. <laughs> do you know? Do your responsibilities. It's like when I was a kid. Uh, you know, you can. I, I would all, obviously, as like any kid, I just wanted to play with stuff, my Legos or whatever. Um, and you know, mom and dad would say like, "You can do that, but do your chores first. And uh, you know, it's so simple for a kid to to think that way. But do things really change as you get older? Enjoy the life that we have. Enjoy. I'm not saying waste your time on on futility. But I'm saying enjoy it. Enjoy. Uh, the, the sun, the rays of the sunshine. I mean, today I was outside shooting my bow and arrow, my compound bow. Uh, and, you know, enjoy that. That's fun. That's, that's a blessing from God. I can thank him for it. He obviously made your taste buds, okay? He didn't take them away when the Democrats won. <laughs> you can still use them. So do your thing. Do, do the thing that God wants you to do. And then have fun. Uh, enjoy the life God's given you. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy, I mean, even while you're, I mean, it, they, the two should be the same, obviously. You, you should, you know, as you're serving the Lord, uh, just, you know, smell the roses and enjoy the blessings he's given you. And they, they don't automatically get taken away when, um, when the, the wrong political party gets into power or anything like that. There's some things that are so secure, though, no one can take them away, neither height nor death nor angels nor any created thing in heaven or on earth. And that's the love of Christ, obviously. And so uh, if you really believe that and you're a Christian, you really believe God loves you uh, and, and to sound like a evangelical cliche, that Ray Comfort would be, uh, don't, let him, don't let him hear I said this, but uh, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which he does if you are a Christian. It might lead to martyrdom, but it's still going to be a wonderful plan. He'll give you the grace to even get through that. Then just, just enjoy uh, the time that you have left on this earth. And do your best to pass down uh, to the next generation, steward well the resources God's given you. I'm not saying not to take it lightly. I'm not saying not to, you know, I'm not saying to be Pollyanna. Don't be Pollyanna. You know, get real with what's happening. You know, but, um, but don't let it get you down either. And, uh, and that's a balance for some of us, I think. That's, that's difficult for some more than others. It's been a hard few years, hasn't it? And I think something like last night, you're just, you're, you're, you're striving so much for hope somewhere, right? And you're like, oh, I heard it was going to be a red wave, some of you. <laughs> and, and it wasn't. It wasn't what you expected, let's say. That's okay. It's, it's, I think I just want to set you up for expect that in the political sphere, there's going to be a lot of that. Doesn't mean you abandon it, though. Keep being that prophetic voice. Keep the morality of God in the public view. Keep the things that are sacred, like death. Death, I mean, after death, we're not just we're not just material that goes to the body and it doesn't matter anymore because we're not there, right? That's how secularists think. That's why desecrating a grave, who cares? No, 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 we're Christians. We believe that that, that was the housing of your immortal soul and your body, um, your, your body housed something so sacred it lives on. And wherever you see Christian civilization, you see graveyards. And so that's, that's one of the, the reasons this whole monument thing I think matters to some extent is ripping down that memory, ripping down... Um, these are people made in God's image too, right? It's not just the people who live right now who have, uh, it's, uh, society itself is, is a composition of the, the past, the present and the future. It's those who uh, have, have, uh, lived in the past, those who have yet to be born and those who are alive right now. And we rupture 
uh, our identity when we um, start ripping that apart. So in your own family, you don't, you know, they can be ripping everything apart that you care about out there, desecrating everything that you care about. They could profaning marriage, whatever. Doesn't mean it has to be that way at your house, okay? Or your neck of the woods. You still celebrate the things that matter where you are. You still pass down stories to your kids about your family. You still um, honor the things that actually truly matter. And they can't take that from you. So uh, much more that could be said, but it is a mega edition and it's gone pretty long now. We're over an hour and a half. Um, thanks, John, for the encouragement. You're welcome. I hope I need it too. So I'm saying it for myself, but I hope that uh, that helps you. And um, and yes, preach the gospel too. Yeah, that, I mean, the good news is that there's nothing you can do, right? <laughs> Jesus did it all uh, for the forgiveness of sins, that he paid the fine that you couldn't pay to appease the wrath of God and be in a right relationship with him. And we take it for granted. I, I admit I'm the first one. I take it for granted so much, I, especially being raised in it, having a dad who was a pastor, but um, it, it, it needs to be fresh for us. And the only way to do that is to spend time pondering it, reflecting, um, saturating your mind in that. So, and someone did point out conservatives actually gained ground, just not as projected. Yes. I, I understand. I realize that. Yes. Um, they, they did gain a little bit, but it, nothing like we would have thought. Nothing like we would have thought. But that's okay. That's okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to sign off for now. Um, God bless. More coming later in this week. And uh, don't forget, uh, get get some of that uh, beard balm because uh, you're going to want it. Everything's getting drier. Okay. Enough about that. God bless. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.